Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Recorded live. Heavenly Father, we come, we come before you today and we raise our eyes to the heavens. In the name of our Lord and your Son, Jesus Christ, we give thanks for all things. Thank you for the air that we breathe and thank you for the food in our stomach, Lord. Thank you for the clothes on our back. We ask that you help us and give us the strength so that we may go on in this world and be a, bright, a brighter light, that our candle may shine so bright that the others of the elect may come to us, Lord, and we pray that we meet more and more of your elect, Lord, so that we're not so lonely here. And we ask you to forgive us our sins of today, Lord, yes, Father. and help us that we are able to walk through this world and not be conformed to this world, Lord, and help us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, Lord, so that we may prove what is your what is good for you, what is your good and acceptable and perfect will, Lord. And we also pray for uh, our brother Don, Pastor Don, that the Holy Spirit come within him, Lord, so that his teaching be your will, Lord. And we, we also pray for the Holy Spirit to come into us, Lord, us in the chat room and those that, that download later, let the Holy Spirit show them, Lord, what you want them to learn from this teaching, Lord. For all these things are only made possible through through the precious blood that, that your Son shed for us, that we may be here in your glory, Lord, and all glory be to you. In the name of our Lord, the King of kings, Jesus Christ, amen. 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 Am
Amen. 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 Okay, folks, uh, last week, last Friday night, we dealt with the church at Ephesus. So if you would, Brother Chad, just start in verse 1 of chapter 2 and read the first eight verses dealing with, uh, first seven verses dealing with Ephesus, then we'll get in to Smyrna, the next church. The Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, thou hast that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen. Okay, folks, last week I brought to your attention that uh, we went back to the book of Acts and I showed you how that Paul's admonition to the Ephesian elders, that they took him to heart. They kept out all the false doctrine. They were, they were Johnny on the spot about those false teachers that were coming in. They paid attention to what the Apostle, the Apostle Paul said. They were so wrapped up. And the Lord gives them kudos for what they did in the first in the first part of the chapter. He's the way he does each one of the churches. Whatever's good about him, he tells you to start with. Then if there's anything bad, he comes in next with the, uh, the rebuke. And he did rebuke them because they had left their first love. And we talked about that in detail last week. And one more thing I wanted to mention about that. Like the Ephesian church is the one, like I said last week, that Paul gives you the example of the body, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ being like a husband-wife relationship. He used that uh, terminology, used that type, like a marriage, and it was a great mystery, he says in the last couple of verses of uh, Ephesians chapter 5. He said, but I, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Well, there's one thing about it. it, it you can take it further back than that. You can take it all the way back to the consummation of the marriage between Adam and Eve. Eve, and just like it's supposed to be in a normal relationship even today in marriage, the way it's supposed to be. The man takes the woman and puts her his name on her. That's like that's the reason the Apostle Paul said, in Christ there's neither Judean, Jew, Gentile, bond or free, male or female, Scythian, Whatever, barbarian, in Christ you're a Christian. You take on the new name that's prophesied in Isaiah. So um, today, the way it was for ages, the man, the woman took the man's name. She lost, she lost her identity of before, of whatever she was, what her name was before, leave father and mother, 
and cleave unto her husband, and they two shall become one flesh. Well, that's the way it was supposed to be between us and the Lord Jesus Christ. We lose the identity of the world. We come out from the world. We lose all identity, and we become Christians, and then our whole life is supposed to be walking the path that Christ lays out before us, the Christian life. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. But anyway, I just wanted to throw that one thing in there. Now we're going to be getting to the second church, and that will be the church of Smyrna. So, Brother Chad, if you would, just go and read the verses dealing with Smyrna, then we'll go back and start in verse 8 again, and Kyle will come down through it and expound on some of the verses, okay? Okay. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Okay, back up in verse 8. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna. Well, folks, Smyrna, all these churches in Asia Minor have been unearthed. They were all literal churches. For years, there was a lot of skepticism, uh, people thinking that they weren't real real churches, that, that it, it was just made-up names. It had been all kind of stuff down through church history of people getting these solid ideas, specifically the early part of church history, people coming up with these ideas, claiming the Scripture wasn't this and wasn't that, which later on was proved to be true. Like every one of these churches had been es- excavated back in the 30s and 40s by, um, let's see, what's the guy, William Crawford. Professor William Crawford excavated all these seven churches, and uh, we know that they were real churches. This church, Smyrna, today is called Ishmael, I think. Brother David, you know what that name is, isn't it, isn't it Ishmael over in Turkey? Uh, sorry, I'm not sure. Okay, but anyway, it's, it's, it's still a city today, but the old Smyrna is underneath it. Now the, um, it but it's still thriving today. And this word Smyrna means myrrh. And myrrh, you, I'm sure you recognize myrrh because remember the um, wise men, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, myrrh is something that's used in burial. It's a, it's a perfume, okay? It's a perfume. But the thing about this perfume, it, it, it only puts forth its fragrance when it's crushed. It only puts forth its fragrance when it's crushed. All through here, when he's talking to Smyrna, the Lord Jesus Christ, it has something to do with death, 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 death. This church of Smyrna has no rebuke. There's only two churches. 
in the in chapter two and chapter three, there's only two churches that have no rebuke from the Lord, and one of them is Smyrna. These people were poor and went through pain and suffering, and they thought they were poor. Only on the way they looked, they were in bad shape. But the Lord says they're rich. Through the Lord's eyes, their pain and suffering is glorious. Which leads us back to the doctrine of that I've been teaching for going on four years now out of the New Testament, the Pauline doctrine of Christian suffering. And this church gets no rebuke. Why? Because that's what they did. They went through the suffering. They went through the pain. They went through the poverty. And the Lord's blessing them. Say, hey, guys, you got it made. I'm paraphrasing now. You are rich. Even though on the outside, you're in poverty. This church at Smyrna is where Polycarp was the bishop. Polycarp was one, one was a contemporary of the Apostle John. And Polycarp was burned alive under the persecution of Domitian. And they burned him alive at the stake. And what happened back in Smyrna, it was, it, Smyrna, let me just back up a little bit. Smyrna was found, was built into its um, state, his its luxurious state at the time of Polycarp and uh, at the time of Domitian, even under Nero, it was Alexander the Great, one of his generals, Licentius, really refurbished Smyrna. It, it dates all the way back. It was a Hittite city originally, 3,000 years prior. But under Licentius, who was one of Alexander the Great's generals, Alexander the Great had a dream about this place, and so he sent Licentius and refurbished and made it a, um, a glorious place. I mean, this place had um, had shrubbery, flowers, fountains. They had uh, it was steeped, steeped in idolatry. This is where Homer was born, the Greek poet Homer. This is where Homer was born and died. Is in Smyrna. It was said to have a crown around it because it was so luxurious. That's what some of the historians say. That's what Strabo, Strabo, one of the historians, secular historians, ancient historians, said that it was the most beautiful city in the world. But here you've got Polycarp is the bishop there. And what the reason he was killed they passed under the uh, the Roman emperor. They passed a law. It was called it was uh, Caesar worship, and what they would do every year is each citizen was required to bring a, a pinch of incense to the altar and swear allegiance to the Caesar. Well, Christian, a Christian couldn't swear allegiance wasn't supposed to swear allegiance to any type of idolatry or anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever they caught Polycarp, they asked him to recant Jesus Christ. And he told them, he said, 
For 80 and 6 years, he's been good to me, and I will not turn my back on him now. That's kind of a paraphrase, but 98% of exactly what he said. And they burned him alive at the stake. Now you think about that. He could have lived, all he had to do, he wouldn't have lost his salvation. He wouldn't, I mean, if he had just a pinch once a year, a pinch of incense, and just lie out your teeth, see? He could have lied out his teeth, you know, and swore this allegiance and just done this little bitty offering, but he didn't because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And these Christians here at Smyrna, they don't get a rebuke. They're, like I said, they're one of the only churches. There's one more church that doesn't get a rebuke as well. Because this is suffering. They were a suffering church. Not like Laodicea that we'll find out later on. And let me go ahead and say this about the, all these churches before we get in on any further here, before I make any more comments about Smyrna. All these churches, it's like I said in the very first um, program that we did here in the book of Revelation, you can find something that you can take as a group, as a, as a body of believers, out, out of each one of these seven churches. You can find something that you can use in your life. That's uh, Revelation chapter two and three are the most um, edifying and the most. Um, well, would you say it? Um, you can use Revelation chapter two and three in your Christian life more than any of the rest of the book. It's more pra- there's more practicality to chapter two and chapter three in a Christian's life than any of the rest of the, any of the rest of uh, the book of Revelation. And so it should be because it's dealing individually with the churches. And if you look at these churches, I don't know if I made mention of it in the I think I did in the um in the very first chapter. And then again maybe I didn't, but if you lay these churches out and this is debatable, you can take it with a grain of salt or you can play it on out and study it more, which I advise that you do. But if you lay these churches out, draw them out, and then look, and really know church history, you can see aspects of different phases of church history over the last 2,000 years plus, and it lays out a chart. The dispensationalists are real big on this, okay? But there's an element of truth to it because if you took these churches out of, if you put... Smyrna at the first and Ephesus at the last and Laodicea in the middle wouldn't make any sense. But in the order that they're laid out here in the Word of God, and you look back at church history, they show you a timeline of the condition, overall condition of the body of believers in Christ. And the only way to miss it is try to miss it. If you know church history, if you don't know church history, then you don't you won't have a clue what I'm talking about, right? 
But even though it does that, like I said, you can take simple, you can take out of each one of these churches, there's something you can learn practically to apply in your life, which it should be that way with any scripture. Since each scripture usually has three different meanings. So, so all these seven churches, they give you a rough picture of the church age. And also, like I mentioned in the first, I think in the introduction to the book, you can make one big circle, how it's going to come back right there at the end. It's all going to go back and start again. You can get down through this uh, time period of over 2,000 years. You get little circles. You get rise and fall, rise and fall. Rise and fall, rise and fall, all down through the ages, which is typically the way it always works. The only thing that men learn from history is men never learn from history. That's, it starts it starts good and ends bad. <laughs> it starts out good and it ends bad and has to start all over again. That's the way it works. You can find that, and I told you the only exception to that second law of thermodynamics is the Christian the true Christian life, because we are renewed day by day by the Spirit of God. That's the only exception to that law. Everything else is bound by it in this enclosed plane we live on. That's one of the laws. You can't get around it. It's just like the first. The, the first law is that, you, that energy, it, once the energy is created, it can never be destroyed. It just goes into a different form. It can't be created anymore or destroyed anymore. It just goes to a different form. So the Lord's got the sole possession of the, the one that created it, and it can't be destroyed unless he wants it to. <laughs> but anyway, dealing back with Smyrna before I get too far off. So myrrh, that's what the word means, myrrh. It's a type of death. Paul says, for I am dead with Christ. Are you dead with Christ? Have you reckoned yourself dead? Something, another thing that's totally divorced from the, from the message of the Word of God today being taught across this country, for the most part. Dying to the world, dying to self. Just like the doctrine of Christian suffering, it, it, it's, it's divorced, totally divorced, has been divorced for almost 250 years. It's still in pockets, a real Bible-believing pastor that's not tied at the hip with some denomination might still be teaching the truth. I know there's a couple of Anabaptist churches up in Ohio that still teach the truth concerning the doctrine of Christian suffering. Nobody likes to hear that, folks, but that's just the way it is. And this church got no rebuke because they went through the mill. During this period of time is when all the, along with Nero and Domitian, from this period of time right here, it goes, this Smyrna period goes to about right at 312 A.D. That's why it lays out to about 312 A.D. There were, then there's ten, there were ten Roman kings 
during this period of time, starting with Nero, right on to the last, right on before, right to the end of 312. It was, um, let me see, I think I wrote this sucker's name down. Diocletian. He was the worst of all of them. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, during this period of time, this Smyrna period, there was over 5 million Christians slaughtered. You've heard me mention it many, many times, Fox's Book of Martyrs. Just in that, just in that period of time, from around 100 A.D. to 312 A.D., and 312 A.D., the reason it stopped then, I was in 312, 313, Rome passed called the Edict of Tolerance after Diocletian died. And that was, that was, um, that tapered off some of the martyrdom, but over 5 million suffered at the hands of these Roman emperors because they wouldn't bow. As the old saying goes, they wouldn't bend, they wouldn't bow, so they got burned. Polycarp got it because he could have, like I said, all he had to do was just lie to save his life. I wonder if the same thing was put to you, what you would do. I often wonder that about myself. Oh, we can talk big. As long as the air conditioner's running and food in the refrigerator, and basically for most part your bills are paid, and most of you sleep in a bed and not on the dirt, so you can make the bow. I would do so and so. Really. See, there, there, there's such a wide chasm, a wide chasm between the Smyrna Christians and the Christians of today when it comes to character, love for the Lord Jesus Christ, love for His Word. See, the world talks about um, role models. Well, the Lord gives you a role model in his word. He gives you himself, and then after he resurrects and goes back to the Father, he gives you another one, the Apostle Paul. You've got your role model, see. Do you want to spend the time to find out all you can about them? So that's where you, so you can set your goals that high. Paul says five times, be you a follower of me, or do as I do. Do as you see me do. Do the things that I say. That's the only one the Holy Spirit allowed to write that. I mentioned it ad nauseum many, many times. Ain't nobody else telling you that out there. That's the only two people. There's your role models, the Lord Jesus Christ and the Apostle Paul. So, And these Smyrna Christians, they had, they had their goals set high. Polycarp had his goals set high. He wouldn't tell a lie to save his own neck. Now, he didn't just go waltzing up. If you read the story of how it took place, if it's completely true, he kind of he was on the, on the lamb. He was, he was running, okay? 
He just didn't walk up there and say, I'm standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Go ahead and burn me. He didn't do that. No, wasn't no fluff about it. But when the time came, they gave him the choice, and he chose the Lord. Rest assured. Rest assured. If you live long enough and name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same thing will happen to you. But see, the bad thing about it is you don't you don't even have to be threatened with death. You can be threatened with peer pressure. You can be threatened by monetary gain, a job. And not mention the name Jesus Christ. Very prevalent today. It rules the day. Basically, except for certain segments of Bible believers, real quickly, Brother Chad, turn to Luke chapter 12. Okay. I'll show you what the 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 Smyrnans took literally. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. Luke chapter twelve. Uh, just start at verse one and read down through there, and you'll get to a part where it says, "He that confesseth me before the Father, I will." Um, but he that confesseth me before men, him will I confess before the Father. You'll see that verse down. It's, I yeah. think it's about six, seven, eight, nine, something like that. Yeah, it's eight. Okay. Start at one. Yeah, just start at 1 and read down through that. Luke chapter 12. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod upon one another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered, and that shall not be revealed, neither hid, that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. Okay, brother. That's good enough. Back to Revelation. Okay. Back to chapter... Two, verse 9. You see, folks, 
I make that statement all. I, I make that quote all the time. It's it's in in, in one of the other gospels too. It's worded just a little bit different, but the same meaning. Confessing before men, like Peter says in his in his uh, second epistle in chapter one. Be always always be able to give an account to any man that asketh you of the hope that is within you. Paul couldn't keep his mouth shut. Peter's the one who had a little trouble, see. Peter's the one who had to be rebuked. He didn't want to be seen with certain some of the brethren. He, he wanted to go back around his folks. He didn't want to be seen with some of the others. That's in Galatians too, by the way. Paul had to rebuke him to his face because he is two-faced. Peter was two-faced, but he got right. He got it all right, but Peter was still a little shy. He was shy around the fire too, remember? Denying the Lord, he never got rid of that completely. And the way you know that is Galatians chapter 2. <laughs> oh, yes. So Smyrna, the church, suffering. Suffering. These things saith the first and the last, that which was dead, and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. We look at so we, we see Paul puts it this way those those are deceived that suppose that gain is godliness. And folks, I'm not you don't have to be a Donald Trump. Okay, you don't have to be a Nelson Rockefeller to be proud or be or just, or be after that dollar. Be I've known people that work that work for minimum wage that put that job ahead of everything else in their life. So you don't have to. It don't. You don't have to be after millions of dollars. See, everybody. Everybody thinks when Paul writes, they would that will be rich in this world. See, fall under and and get to themselves many hurts. But see, in the in the same breath, he said, "With food and raiment, therewith let us be content." See, it's not like he's talking about only those that are millionaires and got stocks, you know, and they look at Dunn and Bradstreet and always checking the stock market. No, that's not the point he's trying to make, but that's the point we, a lot of times, as Christians, will try. I ain't like them. Really? See, it's a lot deeper than you think. Remember, motive is what's judged. There's no doubt in my mind there's going to be a lot of wealthy people that tried to outgive the Lord that are going to come in way ahead at the judgment seat of Christ than the ones that didn't have a pot to urinate in or a window to throw it out of. But they were proud and they were they were after that dollar bill. It's a heck of a lot deeper. It's so much deeper than this this this. 
bailiwick crap out there. People are trying to teach. Transgression of the law. No, him that doeth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is a sin. The thought of foolishness is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Go on and on and on. Transgression of the law. That's one, yeah. But sin dwells in each and every one of us. Romans chapter 7. And knowing to do good and not doing it is a sin. That got nothing to do with transgression of the law. You can't find that anywhere in the Big Ten. <laughs> oh, they'll lie to you. They'll lie to you. There's a lot of practical stuff here. No poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews. Turn to John chapter 8, brother, while I'm talking. Okay? Yeah. Okay. I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. This this Jews pop up twice. in reference to the synagogue of Satan. And the places that say they are Jews and are not, it pops up twice. Here it pops up. I I went uh, (laughs) this week, I checked out two or three of the brethren, the Judeo-Christian brethren, some of the big-name teachers. And I I, I was grinning for it because I've heard away a lot of them handle this verse when they come down through here. But I, I one of them, you could tell that the way, I'm not, not going to call them names, but you could tell that the way he was teaching, he knew there was something here other than what he was fixing to say. You could tell it in the tone of his voice. But he wound up spiritualizing this Jew after claiming to be a literalist, spiritualizing this and taking them back to Romans and trying to apply they that are one, a Jew is one inwardly, not one outwardly, tried to spiritualize it like that's what it meant. And that's not what it means. And I heard another one get to the verse, and he read through it and said, well, for lack of time, we're going to go down to the next verse. And he stayed 30 minutes on the next verse, next two verses. <laughs> But he didn't have time to deal with verse 9. They'll lie. They'll lie. They don't want to deal with it. The ones, just like I was, when I was sold on the Jew and sending them money, and I couldn't wait to get up the next morning to listen to Israel National Radio, it does something to their brain. It did something to my brain. Everything revolved around the Jew. If you did not even know the Anglo-Israel truth, if you were just an, an honest, open heart and not tied down with some denomination and you read through here and had read and were familiar with the New Testament doctrine, you would know there was something wrong here. See? There's, so there's, got, there's something wrong with that name Jew. 
you would just naturally know something was wrong. See, if you were a biblical student, even if you had been taught and you were honest with yourself, when you ran across this, you'd say, okay, I've got to study this word out like I have everything else I've studied. They won't do it, folks. And if I'd have still been actively involved pastoring one of their churches and in the denominational stuff, when I ran across this and started studying on my own, I wouldn't have did it either. If I did, I would have kept my mouth shut because of what I said a while ago. The fear of man bringeth a snare, folks. But anyway, you go back and you look this word Jew and you find out where it first occurred. And it first occurs in 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 6. And you find out that the Jews are fighting Israel and Assyria. So you find out there that back those Jews, when the word first occurs, is talking about Judah. And Israel is not even connected with them. It's after the split. And Jew and Israel just don't fit together. There's more. I think there's even more to this than even the ones that understand the Anglo-Israel truth put to it. I was thinking. I've been. I've thought about it two or three times this week. I think there's more to it than that than what than a lot of what we talk about. I can't quite put my finger on it. But there's something different with one of our brothers. Because Jacob, just be honest, folks, okay? Just be honest. Jacob was a conniving, money-grabbing, lying, cheating heathen, okay? Our father, Israel, Jacob Israel. Now, who else is like that? See, <laughs> who else are money grabbing, cheating, lying, stealing? Hmm? The seed of Satan is too. You see what I'm saying? There's more to it than meets the eye. See, you got to get into the, the 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 twin brother type stuff before you can figure it out. You got you got to really get deep with genetics and DNA and think about that thing to really understand it because taking the conniving Jew today and running him right back to Jacob, they're two peas in a pod. Come on, be honest. If you've read the book, so it's Esau. It's the half-brother, see, They're almost identical. They're twins. And until Esau screws up and sells his birthright and then goes against his parents' wishes and race mixes with the Canaanite, then it, then it all gets blurry and screwed up to the point to where God throws Edom aside and tell and and his descendants he would have war with Amalek, who was a descendant of Esau forever. Generation to generation. 
You'll find it in Exodus chapter 17, verse 16. And then, New Testament-wise, in Hebrews 12, you find that Esau couldn't even get repentance, even though he sought it with tears. See what I mean? So, you got you. I mean, I didn't say you had to give them too much slack, but you got to give the old Judeo Christians a little slack of why they believe. You see how deep the deception is. In other words, what I'm saying. You see what I'm saying, brother Dave? Yes, I do. Yes. See how easy that would be to make that mistake. Yeah, I've uh, often thought about my own brother and myself, and we're not twins, but. You know, you couldn't get two different of uh, people, not only in looks, but in behavior, or at least what you strive to be, what your ideal is, who, you know, loving the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, yeah, I, I, I've thought of Jacob and his brother, twin brother, and um, they are they were very similar in appearance, although different, somewhat, but you know, the same heritage, the same DNA, the same background, the same teachings, the same loving parents. Yep. And one comes out one way, one comes out the other. Right. Amen. Amen. In John chapter 8, let's see the Lord dealing with some... Uh, now, folks, I, this to most of you folks, this is old hat stuff. But to new listeners and all the downloaders that come in here, and different ones from week to week. This is for my Judeo-Christian brethren. That I'm running a little bit, talking about this as much as I am. Starting verse 40, brother, in John chapter 8. Okay. We'll start reading in verse 40. And the Lord's fixing to be dealing with some of these Edomites. Go ahead, brother. John chapter 8, verse 40. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Go up, a little bit, go up a little bit further, brother. Go Just start about verse 35 and come down through there. How about 37 where the paragraph is? That'll, yeah? work, that'll work. That'll be perfect. Okay. Verse 37. I know that ye are Abraham's seed. Okay. Stop ye... right there. I'm glad you did that. See, how could you be Abraham's seed and the seed of Satan at the same time? See, there's only one way this is possible, folks. <laughs> Mm. It's through Esau, just and just like Cain and Abel. <laughs> That's the only way. You see, that brother Dave, we went through that before. Yes. Oh, yes. It's mm-hmm. very easy to understand, folks. Yes, through his mother. That's right. Wasn't. Yeah. Absolutely. Continue reading, brother Chad. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me. A man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God, 
this did not Abraham. Ye do, this, ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. Uh, okay. we, they, they, see, they're, they're accusing the Lord of being a bastard is what they're doing. And this ain't no, and another thing, this is the man, the man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. He's not no lily-livered, blessed Jesus, meek and mild, running around with a limp wrist. They called him a bastard, and he don't like it, okay? I can't, I imagine it was pretty heated. I would imagine that he was ticked. Mm. And he didn't say, oh, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father. You will do. No, I doubt very seriously if the man that took a whip and beat the crap out of everybody out of the temple, I would imagine he was pretty tough on. Okay? People want to read, they want to read a lot of the scripture in the light, not of the way the character, the way the character of the scripture plays out, but the way Hollywood plays it out. Some Jesus walking around with smooth skin, Long flowing hair, making these graceful strides and speaking in such a low tone of voice. They want to effeminize the God man, the carpenter that had calluses on his hands, okay? It makes me sick, this effeminized Christianity. And it's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. Christianity destroyed matriarchal society. Okay? Destroyed it for 2,000 years. And now what's coming back? Matriarchal society. In other words, effeminization of men. And the, uh, putting the, the feminine back in the top place instead of the where she's supposed to be is in a submissive second place with the patriarchal or the man in the top position the way the father intended for it to be. It will not work any other way. You may think it works, but you will run into the trouble later on in life. If you've got any man in you at all, you will have problems. Guaranteed. It was ne Unless you pussyfoot around the rest of your life and bow the knee to a woman the rest of your life. Real Christian men don't do that. They are not browbeaters, and they're not, they're not super macho, knock a woman out. That's not what it's about. You're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. It's a sacrificial love. I'm not going to go in teaching marriage, but I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I'm landing about the matriarchal and patriarchal thing because it's, it's like a greaseball bearing going back to the matriarchal society all over the white Christian nations. It ain't that way in China. It ain't that way in Japan. It ain't that way in India. Only with us. Why? Because this person who is of their father the devil, is at the top positions pushing it that way. Keep on reading, brother. Then said they to him, We be not of fornication, 
We have one Father, even God. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, ye would love me. For I proceedeth forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye are, ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar, and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth me, convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do ye not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Amen, amen, amen. They can't understand him. They don't have ears to hear. Ye hear them not because ye are not of God. And my goodness, I remember when it was being taught. They'll try to say, they'll, hallelujah, glory to God. Jesus Christ, he, God is his Father, the real seed of the Father. The, and he was, he was um, conceived by the seed of the Holy Spirit. And they'll go back to Genesis 3, and they'll say, see, this is the literal seed it's talking about in Genesis 3.15. Totally forgetting about the other seed. Oh, that's a spiritual seed over there. <laughs> you can't have it both ways, dudes. It don't work that way. If one is literal, physical, the other is literal and physical. And I thank God I had a Bible teacher that stuck with his guns when it came to that. They'll, they'll turn and twist and him haul around and, oh, they'll, hallelujah, glory to God on one. But you start mentioning, oh, that's a spiritual, that's figurative. But, you know, I'm bad-mouthing a Judeo-Christian. It's the same out there in Christian identity. It's the same thing, not with the specific thing, but they'll use up, they'll, they'll spiritualize other things that's not that the text doesn't require to be spiritualized. See, the text determines, folks. Lord, have I ever heard them do it. Well, Pastor Don, just looking at Revelations 2.8 and 2.9, it seems to me the context, the first, this first sentence, he's, he's talking to the church in Smyrna. And then the last sentence of, of 9 is synagogue of Satan. Yeah. Is that, that's two, two, that's distinct, two distinct peoples that he's talking to. It's first of the, the Smyrna and then the synagogue of Satan. It's, that's right. And both of them literal people. That's yes. the point I'm trying to make, yeah. Seems clear. It is clear, brother. <laughs> Unless you don't want it to be clear. You see what I'm saying? They don't want it to be clear because they don't want to deal with it. A lot of them do not want to deal with it. They just do not want to deal with it. Or you can do like my Bible teacher did and said, there's something there 
And he would cross-reference it over to Ephesians where it, Paul warns the church that he don't want them to be beguiled by Satan like he was beguiled and tell you that's sexual and say, well, that's just not enough and I can run the doctrine on it. Now, that's when he lied right there because there is enough to back it up doctrinally. That's where he dropped the ball. But at least he got me headed and kept it. In, I kept it in the back of my mind from the very beginning when I started studying the Word of God. Therefore, when I ran across it later on, after I, I was backed out of denominationalism, I didn't have any problem picking it up and running with it and finding the rest of the doctrine to go with it. But if one of them's literal, the other's literal. Every time you run across something and you in the same context where one thing is literal, you can't spiritualize one part of them. If one part of it, if it's got to do with the same subject matter, and make the other one literal. You don't do that. That's false. That's false teaching. That's and you're false. you're speaking in reference here to Jesus, who said that his father was God, and he wasn't a spirit. He wasn't making it a metaphor. No. And so when he spoke to these Jews that their father was the devil. He wasn't saying, oh, metaphorically speaking, because you lust and lie and murder, you're right. sort of like you're, uh, the devil. So, Absolutely. No, he was directly saying, hey, my father's God directly. Yep. I'm of him. Bingo. He made me. I'm his seed line. Amen. You are of your seed line, the devil. Amen. That's exactly, exactly what he's saying. And any honest, honest Bible teacher, any honest Bible teacher will have to say the same thing. If one's literal, the other one is literal. If Jesus is the Son of God, which we absolutely know to be true, we believe the book, then the other one, then the other one, the Jews are Edomites and their fathers of the devil. Right back through the Canaanites that Esau married into all the way back to the to Cain in the garden. Okay? And even Brother John tells you that Cain was of that wicked one. And it's talking about coming in the line, in the seed line of him, okay? In the, in the epistles of John. Anyway. Okay. I don't love No, him, that's right? a very good point. That's very clear. And that, that, that should perk up the ears of people who are Judeo-Christians and that should make them revisit, if they're honest studiers, that what Jesus said. And that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought it up. Very, very nicely said. And continue reading there, brother, on Chad and John 8. Let's go on down just a little bit further before I get back to Revelation. Okay. John chapter 8, verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan, and hast a devil? Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? 
and the prophets are dead, who makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me. Now watch it close. This is where all, this is where the fur meets the fan because of what the Lord's fixing to say. He's going to make a claim, and they're going to understand exactly what he said. Watch what happens. Go ahead, brother. Mm. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him, and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Bingo! He claimed to be the one speaking from the burning bush, folks. He claimed to be God manifest in the flesh. And see what they did after he said that. They understood what he meant. Go ahead, brother. Keep on reading. Then they took up stones to cast at him. <laughs> See there? They tried to go kill him because they knew what he was doing. They knew his claim right then. They knew what he was saying. He was claiming to be the voice from the burning bush. Yes, Exodus 3.14. That's right. I am that I am. Amen. Amen. Okay, back to Revelation, brother. That was that was great. Let me okay. see. Let me see where we're at here. Oh, la, 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 dead in line. oh I guess my question with uh, with uh, Revelations two nine is, so it's in the context of I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but mm-hmm. thou art rich because they they keep they keep the uh, the righteousness. But then that sentence of the synagogue of Satan. So is it the is it the Jews that are that are causing them the tribulation and the poverty in the situation? That's I'm glad you brought that up because it jogs my memory to make me be able to say this. If you pay attention to church, Martin Luther knew this. Okay, Martin Luther knew church history. Okay, he because he was he was frailing on the Jews all the time. The Jews instigated Polycarp. Didn't even mention it earlier. They were the see even that bunch of heathens was under um, under suspicion from the Roman government as well, and they had their share of persecution as well. But, but, they turned, they took it off their back and put it on the Christians' back, especially, that, that was the reason Polycarp was, was called out and murdered and, and, and martyred. They claimed that the Christians were cannibals, they claimed that we drank blood. In other words, you know, the communion. And our meetings were done behind doors, okay? And they would, they would stir up suspicion, and that would cause the Roman governors to come after us. So, yes, Brother Chad, the Jews, they did, they were some of the instigators behind this. It's not all the Romans' fault, okay? They were stirred up by the Jews, absolutely. And specifically, for sure, here in Smyrna, that's a historical fact. They were the root cause. Glad you brought it up, brother. 
Sure sounds like Daniel 6. The lion's den. <laughs> Daniel 6, yeah, amen, brother. That's right. Hey, hey listen, folks, tweed and tares grow in the same field. See, I, I make this statement ad nauseum all the time, talking about how, where, see, tares look like wheat for a certain period of time. Then, as they get older, they show their true colors. That You can tell the difference later on. But whenever they originally in the middle part of their growth, they look the same as wheat. Nobody has a problem picking out a hook-nosed Jew because it counts speaks against him. And Isaiah says it speaks again in the middle of his face. It even tells you it's in the middle of his face. I don't know why Isaiah just didn't write down nose. You can tell the difference by looking at that bunch. See, you got two you got the ones that's mixed primarily with our blood, which is Edomites. You got the Khazars, which whenever the the, the hook noses were taken out of Jerusalem, after 70 A.D., a, a whole cadre of them moved to Khazaria. I'm not going to go through all. We went through read the whole history before here on air. I'm not going to go back through it again. But the, the worst ones to pick out is the ones that look just like us, and there's a bunch of them. They don't all have big hooked noses, folks. They don't all look like um, death warmed over, like the ones you see on YouTube and this, that, and the other, you know with the old squared-off beard and that nose that sticks out about two foot. Ain't all like that. Because they're about the most mixed-up bunch out there. From every That's the reason they claim there's African Jews and Japanese Jews and every... Because they don't they kept nothing pure. Judaism, Babylonian Judaism is more recognizable by the religion than it is anything else. Absolutely. It's more recognizable by Judaism than anything else. So always keep that in mind. Here in verse 10, anyway, back in verse 9, he says, I know them that but are of the synagogue of Satan. All right. In verse 10, it says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Now, Lord, see, the Lord's sitting there smiling at their suffering. Folks, that's just the way it is. Now, you've got to extrapolate and pull that down into your life. We're getting practical because you need, you need practical teaching out of historical and prophetical doctrine because just head knowledge does you no good at all. Does you no good for your rewards? Does you no good for your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? It has to be applied in every way that it can be applied. So you extrapolate this down and you're, the Lord smiles. It, it even goes so far as to say, blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What do you, what does, was all of us, uh, the worst thing that could be for us, if you're thinking in the natural, be death. Well, it's not to the way that way of the Lord. Well, aren't we supposed to have the mind of Christ? 
Aren't we supposed to, do we have a role model? That's another reason nobody wants to get, take the role model of the Apostle Paul. <laughs> nobody wants to take him at face value. He, had a, he said, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. I'm caught in the strait betwixt two. He wanted to go and be with Christ, yet he wanted, he loved his people and wanted to stay there and minister to them. He tells you that in the verses. Caught in the strait betwixt two, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Well, it was far better for these Smyrnan Christians as well. And the Lord told them, you're rich, guys, because of your poverty and because of your tribulation. And each one of you I'm talking to now, there's tribulation in your life in some kind of way. This ain't got nothing to do with the time of Jacob's trouble this tribulation is talking about up here. It's talking about individual tribulation like Paul talks about in Romans and Peter talks about. Because it's, there's no doubt in my mind, if I know the Lord, and I do, and if I know this book, and I've been accused of knowing it a little bit, there's a lot of us going to get to the judgment seat of Christ and think that we're going to be do, we're going to be doing fine, and we're going to find out we're going to see a bonfire, and they some then the smoke is going to be making a bunch of folks' eyes water, and then there's a bunch there's a bunch of us that's going to think that we ain't got a snowball's chance when it comes to reward and inheritance. And the Lord has looked down in the heart, and he's judged by motive, which that's what the book says he's going to do. And he's going to pull that lever, figuratively speaking, and the gold coins and the crown and the silver is going to roll out waist high to some. that think that they're in poverty and suffering and there's nothing to their life. Because the Lord looks at things a lot different, folks. See, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Luke sixteen fifteen says, Ye are they that justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your heart. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You hear what I just said? That which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So, the Lord looks at the suffering and poverty and it's a good thing. They're rich. Paul tells you to put on and have the, be, have the same mind as Christ. Think like he thinks. Die daily. Paul said, I die daily. He's in Galatians 2.20, he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Deaths all over these Smyrna Christians. So 
What does the Lord tell him here? Fear not. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, here's the comment something. The devil shall cast some of you into prison. So some of them are going to have to go into prison. That ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation. Ten days? What's he talking about? Ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. That's one of them seven crowns that the Lord gives out the judgment seat of Christ. Cross-reference James chapter 1, verse 12. For those that endure temptation, you get a crown of life. You're enduring the tribulation here, and you get a crown of life. But before you get down to the crown of life, I want to talk a little bit about these ten days. See, this was a literal church that actually did get thrown into prison, and they went through ten days. If you look at it as a period of time, like I said to start the program, through church history, and look at the period of time from 100 A.D. to 312 A.D., or thereabouts, between 312 and 315 A.D., you had over 500 million Christians killed, slaughtered. During that period of time, there were ten rulers. Just so happened. See, this is where, that's what I was going to mention to y'all, this is where the praetorists, they think that those ten rulers between 100 A.D. and 315 A.D., before to get to Constantine, they think that that is the ten kings that's going to talk about later in the book of Revelation. See, that's where, and it was nothing but type. It was typology. You've got one out there that I know some of you folks listen to the reprobate that thinks that from uh, from 325, from 315, 325 A.D. forward till about, uh, let's see, about 12, 13, 1400, that was the millennial reign. That's right. Yeah, they absolutely teach that. By spiritualizing and metaphor and allegorizing all of Isaiah's promises and Ezekiel's promises and the minor prophet's promises that deal with the millennial reign. When he plainly says in Luke 1 that he was going to sit on the throne of his father David. They'll try to spiritualize it and make it the throne of his glory that it talks about. They'll try to make the throne of his glory and the throne of David the very same thing. And things that spell different and have a different context, folks, are not the same. One's literal, and one is literal as well, but it's a different throne. One's beside his Father in heaven. The other one is, is sets alone by himself, which is the throne of David. Things different, folks, are not the same. And a thousand years with Jesus Christ ruling with a rod of iron and his saints ruling along with him did not come from 325 A.D. till after the turn of the millennia 
or either later on and then up to 1800 it did that that's when all that's when the majority of bible believing christianity was slaughtered but yet these people try to tell you that's the thousand years he's talking about they're just they're just as wet just as wet as the tennessee river anyway those 10 10 10 10, ten um, kings in between 100 A.D. and 312, 313 A.D. It was Nero that started it all. That Paul was killed under Nero. And Diocletian was the last of those kings. In between that, you had um, Trajan, Domitian, Marcus Aurelius, Servius, and four or five more best... Uh, um, Vestasian. And I forget the other one's name. But anyway, and 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 Diocletian, the, the last one before Constantine, he was the worst one of all that bunch. But they'll take those ten kings, and as we get to the ten kings later on, they'll try to make those those ten kings be these these ten kings here. But that was a bad time. And then, like I told you, it was right up to 313 A.D. whenever they, the Romans signed that, that edict of tolerance. And they backed off the persecution. And then in 325 A.D., that's when the church married the world. For the, and that's when Catholicism, you can, you, that's one of the biggest points in church history, on the church history map, that you can circle, put a star beside, and everything else. That is if you were part of mainstream Christianity. That's where pro- the Protestant that's the Protestant Reformation came out of the ch- out of that hole. My Bible teaching, my Bible teaching and my roots, my spiritual roots and teaching roots go back all the way through through the Anabaptist policy and Scotharii all that French Huguenots all the way back through. They never were part of the mainstream church. They were persecuted by the so-called brethren. Fox's Book of Martyrs got all about it, folks. Anyway, said, I will give you a crown of life to endure that period of time. Well, there was an actual ten days, and then there's that period of time God just got through speaking of with those ten kings in there, okay? That would go along with those ten days. You can either make, you can either use that, and make reference to it, or not. That's totally up to you. And I will give thee a crown of life, real quick, brother Chad. Turn to James chapter one and read verse twelve, brother. Okay. James chapter one, verse twelve. I've got it. Verse twelve, chapter one. <clears throat> Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Oh, loving the Lord has got a lot to do with being able to endure the trials and tribulations. Just like I said earlier, it's easy to kick back. It's easy for me to sit here 
and rant and rave about loving the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? And it's easy for you to say, Amen, brother. The Lord tarries is coming. If the Lord tarries is coming and things keep snowballing like a greaseball bearing, like they're going now, and he gives us some expanded years, some of you younger folks will definitely go through it. Remember what I'm saying. You better get to practicing now, and I say that with reverence. Because if you're not loving him now, and I don't know what your definition of love is. Some, it must be awful stretched and awful warped. But you better start learning to love him now. I know that for 43, over 43 years, right at 43 years, like Polycarp said, I can say the same thing Polycarp did. I don't know if I could do the same thing that Polycarp did. But I can say what he said and don't have and, don't, and not blink an eye. He's been good to this old boy for 43 years. And God's given me grace and mercy. If put on the spot, I would never, never deny him. Giving me grace and mercy. But, folks, there is all kind of stuff. All those folks had to do was burn a piece of incense and tell a little white lie to keep from, and to keep from being persecuted. That's all they had to do. But they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't bow. They would not bow. What would it take for you to bow? Peer pressure? Money, a woman, your kids, or just your own selfishness? That's the question you need to ask yourself. You want to be, there's two churches that we're, that we're going to deal with in chapter 2 and chapter 3. The Smyrna church, which we finished tonight, and the Philadelphia church. That's the church you want to learn from. We learned that the Smyrna church was held in regard because of their suffering and their love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Philadelphian church, they're, they're endued with the Jews going to pop up there again. Going to get some of the same persecution from the Jews there also. But they did something else that kept them from getting a rebuke. And we went there mucho times. But maybe it'll mean a little bit more when we get to it this time. They did something they, they they did something else that um made them cut above the rest. Brother Dave, if you would dismiss us in a word of prayer. Okay. Unless Father, you got something you want to add, brother. Is there anything you want to um, add? No, no. Has anybody was, uh, got anything in the chat room? You've got any questions in the chat room, folks, before we close? No, sir. Okay. Brother Dave, you can go ahead. Brother Chad, you got anything you want to say? No, Brother Don. Okay. Go ahead, Brother Dave. 
Father, in Jesus' name we come and we give thanks for this word. We thank you for exhorting us, for encouraging us, for comforting us that in the day of tribulation, of trial and suffering, that we know that we have the Comforter who will be there with us if we've been faithful to serve the Lord along the way, that you would never leave us nor forsake us, but you would be there. And that doesn't mean that we won't have persecution and trials and suffering, but that in the midst of it, we can have you with us and be aware and be knowledgeable and experience the presence of God in our afflictions. And I I pray, Lord, that you would help each and every one of us to bear up under afflictions now. Things that happen to us sometimes are just small little things and we lose our tempers because of something our wife said or because of what children did or employers or people that we do business with and we say the wrong thing, we do the wrong thing. Sometimes it's better just to bear up and not to say anything. And, and Lord, I pray that you would show us how to act in these afflictions that come. And they seem to happen more and more where people chide us or criticize us because we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ or we we talk about the Word of God or, or we bear witness of what the Lord has done for us and the criticism starts to come, especially more and more from people from other races and nations. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be faithful and true if the day ever comes where we have to be martyred or thrown in prison or suffer tortures or great abuse, that you would cause us to be faithful in that, that you would help us to be steadfast. And we know that we can achieve that only by the grace of the Lord and by the Holy Spirit and by walking with you every day now so that when that time comes, it's not a a big transition. We'll have already walked together with you through many things. And so I give thanks for this, and I know that you will answer us, and I give thanks for the answered prayer. In the name of Jesus, so be it. Amen. 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 And another thing, folks, I want to I want to say I I could how long we've been on, guys? How how long we've been on for? If I'm a little over an hour, an hour and a half. An hour and a half. That's long enough. I but I do want to make this comment. The Apostle Paul, he prepared these these folks. They knew the Apostle Paul's writings. That Peter thought, even Peter picked up on them, and you hear me quote these all the time, and to keep Brother Chad from having to go run the references, I'll go ahead and quote them. But this is what Paul meant in the things that he said. That's the reason Smyrna didn't get a rebuke, folks. They listened. They paid attention to the role models. Okay? Paul says in Romans eight eighteen, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians, For this light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight in glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but on the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And Brother Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 4, Beloved, think it not strange, 
concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. And I could go on and on and on, folks. Paul says in Philippians 1, 19, and 129, chapter 1, verse 29, For it is given unto you, Philippians, I added the word Philippians, it is given unto you in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to suffer for his sake. That's part of their calling. That's part of your calling. You're no different than the Philippians. You're no different than the Smyrna. And we're not going through nothing. We may be going through something individually, so you can you can bring, you can extrapolate this on down to the to the bad thoughts and dreams that you have when you go to sleep. You can bring it you can bring it on down personal, folks. This book is a very present help in time of need if you apply it. He said he'd never, like Brother David said in prayer, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. But be careful out there, folks. I, this is a little change in the subject. That's enough about the suffering business because I go over it all the time, okay? But about, before the program started, and I think a little bit after, we talk, I'm going to tell you, be careful on the stunt. Now, I'm saying this for your benefit. It's no skin off my back, but I'm going to warn you about something. There are some teachers out there, and y'all, and I'm sure the ones I'm referring to now you probably have never run across, that are eloquent. And they have some good facts. And they got some good historical, real his- history not doctored history. But they will destroy your faith by that little leaven that's in their teaching. And they are so... I'm warning you. I'm just warning you. There's some bad stuff out there that will sound wonderful. But it's full of poison, like a rattlesnake or a cobra. Take that as a warning for what it's worth. I'm telling you because I love you. If I didn't, like I said, it's no skin off my back, so to speak, in a worldly term. But if there's nothing else, um, we will meet back Sunday night, Lord willing, and we will pick up where we left off in the book of Daniel, and then Monday night we'll come back to the book of Revelation and pick up with the next church. And Brother Kevin said there's no questions. No, sir. Okay. Brother Dave, you can give the contact information. Okay. Contact contact information for Don Spears Ministry. Telephone number is 334-397-2333. That's 334-397-2333. The email address is one word. Respect. 
to the Lord at yahoo.com. Respect to the Lord at yahoo.com. The mailing address is 3155 Louisville Street, apartment D, as in Don, D1, Clio, Alabama, 36017. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you, Brother Dave. Good job. Good job, Brother Chad. And, Brother Chad, by the way, if you want to call in as well on this coming Sunday night, you may have some stuff you want to add. Okay? Absolutely. Yes. You hear? Did you hear what I said? Yes, I did. Okay. All right, brethren. Lord willing, we'll see both of you this coming Sunday, and I love you guys, and we'll see you guys in the chat room. Talk to you Sunday morning, Brother Kevin. God bless each and every one of you, and good night. Good night, all. Good night. Good night. And right.